Good morning, Taylor Hemnes here from 41 Action News with another episode of Faith in KC. Thanks so much for watching this and all the other Faith in KC episodes. I've really appreciated you following along with these. We've had some great conversations and we have another one uh, scheduled for you today. Uh, Pastor Darren Edwards from United Believers Community Church here in Kansas City is my guest this week. You may be familiar with Pastor Edwards. Uh, he has been uh, my guest on the um, interfaith panel we had on implicit bias um, a month or so ago here from 41 Action News. He's also um, been on television quite a bit lately, uh, being involved with some of the response to the George Floyd verdict, or the Derek Chauvin verdict, I should say, in the George Floyd trial. Um, I've not met, met Pastor Edwards uh, in person, although I've spoken to him several times uh, over the phone in, in this format but I knew I wanted to talk to him uh, in this format um, once that verdict came down. <clears throat> I've never been to a, a black church, a black congregation that's predominantly uh, a black members there, uh, not to worship. I've visited there for stories and that kind of thing, but not to just go and, and worship. I will say, and you'll hear me say it in this conversation, that is something I intend to rectify very soon. Uh, Pastor Edwards was, was kind enough to uh, invite me to his church and my family and I will be attending sometime soon. I look forward to that. But I've never been to one. And I wanted to talk to him about social justice and social issues being raised in the pulpit. Uh, he is the pastor of a predominantly black congregation. Um, those things are brought up in so-called white churches. Absolutely, they're brought up all over, but there is a uh, pretty strong differences of opinion, differences of opinion on uh, whether they um, are appropriate from the pulpit for a, for a minister to bring up things like that uh, during a sermon and not stick to scripture specifically, so to speak, or, or read a parable of, of Jesus or, or anything like that. I wanted to ask Pastor Edwards about why that is something that he feels comfortable doing. If it's something he feels comfortable doing, he does. Um, how he decides which things should and should not be addressed, and that was an interesting answer. You'll see what he has to say about that coming up. A lot of people don't think that churches should be able to plant flags like that. Um, not even should be able to, but should plant flags like that on social issues. I don't feel that way. Um, and you'll see that Pastor Edwards doesn't feel that way either. But I really wanted to pick his brain about when something massive like that verdict happens, what the, the preacher's prerogative is, for lack of a better term. And I, uh, I couldn't be more thankful for his time than how well this conversation went. I hope you'll enjoy it too. Uh, as always, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Taylor Hymnus on, on all those, or Taylor Hymnus KSHB here on, on Facebook. Uh, this episode will be available here on Facebook. It's on KSHB.com as well. If you'd like to listen to it in podcast form, you can do that by searching 41 Files, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And I, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. Please leave your comments. As always, please be civil in those comments and let me know what you think of the episode, uh, who else we should talk to, that kind of thing. I will tell you just a little bit of programming here. We we started this out last year as a weekly series. Uh, it has recently gone to a every two weeks series, and now we're going to pull back a little bit even further and try to make these more 
um, monthly or if there's something specific we need to reach out and, and do a special episode on. But my new target goal is going to be about once a month to have these conversations. Uh, so please, if you think of someone that I should talk to or um, a faith that has not been represented yet, those are on my list as well uh, to reach out to. But for now, please uh, enjoy this episode and thanks again for watching. Joined here today by Pastor Darren Edwards from United Believers Community Church in Kansas City. Pastor Edwards, thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate you taking some time. Taylor, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Let me start by asking you this. How often are you in the pulpit at your church, Pastor Edwards? You know, over the last year since the pandemic hit, I have not missed one Sunday. Uh, it's been really important to me uh, that the sheep hear from the shepherd and just kind of bringing a sense of calm and in the midst of calamity and chaos. So as of yet, I'm looking forward to taking a good long <laughs> summer break. Yeah, but I, I really thought during the pandemic that they needed to hear from their pastor. So pre-pandemic, it, it sounds like you're saying you're, you were not always the one preaching. Were you not always the one doing the, the sermon on Sunday morning pre-pandemic? I would say in a, in a quarter and three months, I would probably preach nine out of the 12, 13 Sundays. You know, okay. so I had, I had a rotating team who would fill in at least once or twice a month. So uh, I alluded to this in, in my introduction for this. We're going to talk about uh, some things that are different compared to other Faith in KC episodes today. Uh, and I want to start with this. When is the first time, if you remember, uh, that you referenced George Floyd in the pulpit, if at all? The Sunday after it happened. Sunday uh, after it no, no question about it. Um, it was a sense of shock. Uh, the world, let me say this to you, Taylor, and, and, and I know we're going that direction, but I believe God works in all things. And the world was on pause. And for the very first time, no one could deny the stories of Black anguish and anger. Mm. You saw it live and in living color. Yeah. I just believe if the world was still racing and pacing and doing what it was doing, it had just been another story. You do these stories all the time. It had just been another story passed by. And the magnitude of what happened with George Floyd may not have been if the pandemic had not put us on pause. As a pastor, when that happens, was there any bit of hesitancy on your part of, do I say, not only what do I say, but just the decision and I forget what day of the week that that video started to, to break out, but let's say it happened on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday. You've got a couple of days to figure out what you're going to do before Sunday. Talk me through that decision-making process for you of X has happened. Should I or should I not address it when I get up there on Sunday morning? I, I think the Black preaching experience is having the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in another hand. And there, there are times, there are times in life you just cannot exegetically examine the Bible. You got to exegetically examine your city, your community, and the people you serve. It was on their mind. Bottom line, it was on their mind. And so there was no use of me getting up and talking about a story about Joshua when George Floyd is on their mind. Yeah. And so it, I, it just happened to me the other day. You know, as we were holding our breath with the Charlemagne verdict, I didn't write my sermon until the verdict came in. And so there are times you just have to pivot, I believe, uh, as a pastor and deal with what's happening in the world as the world is speaking to us. 
so no hesitancy on your part that first when the first day whenever you, you knew as soon as you saw that video this is going to be in my sermon one way or another on sunday morning my, my children ran my children called me my daughters ran downstairs my phone was ringing my text messages were blowing up my email was full media was calling me yeah. it was coming from every direction and i took that as a god moment God is telling me over and over again, this is what you need to talk about. If your children are running to you, if your text messages are blowing up, if the news media is calling you, if everybody's kind of pointing that direction, how dare you go preach something else when they need to hear a word from me in regards to this situation? Do you remember at all what you said or what you talked about that first Sunday? I do. I do. I, I went to... Uh, Mark chapter 12, and we talked about how to love our neighbor and who is our neighbor and, and really looked at that. And that's the great commandment upon all the other commandments hangs, all, the law hangs on those two commandments. And we're really good at loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, but we struggle, Taylor, with loving our neighbor. In fact, in seminaries, they debate who is our neighbor. How dare we have a discussion on who is our neighbor? Our neighbors, those who don't look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, dress like us. Yeah. God calls us to love that person. That's our neighbor. And so we needed to walk through that. I'm a pretty emotional guy. And um, I've been doing TV now for almost 20 years. And there's still every now and then one will catch me and I will, I will tear up during a story. And I... I don't mind if we come back on camera and a viewer can see that my eyes are a little bit red. That, that, that doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm not supposed to not be a person. Um, but I feel confident <laughs> that I, I couldn't do what you do because I don't know if I could emotionally get through not only, forgive the term, a George Floyd sermon, but just any sermon in which I really get into it emotionally about what I'm talking about to get through a sermon of that, of that magnitude, of, of, of any magnitude. Do you remember, was it, was it difficult for you that, that Sunday morning? Do you remember anything that, that made you go, this is going to be, this is going to be hard. Like, or was it, I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a long time. What was, what was it like knowing what you were up against that Sunday morning? Uh, absolutely. I remember exactly the prayer I prayed. Lord, do not let me take the pulpit in my anger. Mm. But let me speak with righteous indignation. Because, Lord, if I speak in my anger, I did that once, Taylor. I, I did that once. I, I preached a sermon once called The, the, the Diary of a Mad Black Preacher. Okay. <laughs> and okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was right after my dad passed away, and I was really upset with God that, you know, I, God's used me to, to pray for others, and they recovered. And my dad was just stricken with cancer and body shriveled up and I was cool with God taking him because I know we're not here to stay, but I just didn't like the way it happened. And I, I, I should not have preached that Sunday. And I took a text from Acts and, uh, and Moses when he hit the rock. I mean, I, I just went to the book and said, you know what? This is the diary of a mad black preacher. And the people were looking like, what is wrong with him? And so <laughs> I, I, I knew, I knew that I needed to consistently say to myself, Lord, do not let me take the pulpit in my anger, but let me speak with righteous indignation. So. You've told me before, and for people that are not familiar, Pastor Edwards was, was my guest on the, the interfaith panel we had a couple of months oh, ago, yeah. a month or so yeah. ago. 
Uh, and he and I have never, still never met in person, but now, this is now our second time to have one of these conversations. But you told me during that, and correct me if I'm wrong, United Believers is a primarily black congregation, right? Yeah, it's great. Did you get any pushback? What was the response like? You know, because people are always going to come up to the preacher after after church on Sunday morning and say, I've, I've had many a Sunday where I walked up to a preacher and said, enjoyed that. I have a question about that kind of thing. What was the conversation with the preacher like for you that Sunday morning? Was there any kind of pushback at all? What was the response like? You know, the pushback had already started. Um, I had already started preaching messages, not knowing that George Floyd was even happening, but I was already preaching sermons dealing with the pandemic. And I went all the way back to Genesis to the flood. You know, the whole reset, you know, kind of doing the whole reset story. Well, naturally, Taylor, in that is Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And Chambers is chapter 10, the table of nations. And kind of walked through that. So I had some controversial stuff. I talked about the slave Bible where those passages were ripped out of the Bible and was given to the slave preacher to preach because in its messages on equality, equity, or liberation was taken out of the Bible. And this is what you're supposed to preach. And I was sharing those stories, and then it just naturally rolled into George Floyd. But I had a member of my church uh, come to me and say, you're, you're a little bit too social justice for me. You know, you're, you're a little bit too much, you know. Prior talk, to George Floyd, somebody said this. Prior to George Floyd, and certainly after George yeah. Floyd. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I just, you know, I came, I come to hear about Jesus, and I want to hear, I say, well, if you're going to talk about Jesus, read his first mission statement. His mission statement was all about social justice, you know, it was all about bringing equity and equality to people, healing the brokenhearted, liberating the oppressed. That was his overall mission. I said, so if you don't want to hear, to me, you can't preach the Bible without preaching social justice. And so- Something, yeah, something you said earlier. No, go ahead, please. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, I lost some members. I, I, you know, I, I had some members that say, you know what, that's too much for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Something you said earlier um, was you said a, a black preacher needs a Bible with one hand and a newspaper in the other. That that's interesting to me. Do you feel like do you feel like it's it's more common for preachers in black congregations to be more willing, be more ready, be more likely to step into that venue than maybe what you've seen or what you know of from uh, non-black congregations? I, I have several uh, white pastor friends who are friends of mine. Yeah, and uh, and I, I challenged them after after Floyd's murder, and I, I just asked them a question: What are you preaching, son? Many said, "Well, I'm staying with the the order that I've already done. I know what the I know what happened in the world, or I'm staying with the 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 lectionary and that kind of thing." And and I called some of my black pastors. What are you preaching? He said, "Man, what else can I preach?" You know, you know, what else, you know, I got to deal with this thing. There's an wow. old, there's an old Negro, it's not written anywhere. It's an old Negro spiritual, Taylor, that says, preacher, roll your window down and hear <laughs> the cries of the people. Roll your window down. You know, look how old that is. Who rolls the window down? In the right, right, window? right, right, right. You know, that tells you about the timetable we're dealing with. Roll your window down and hear the cries of the people. And so I've just taken that mantra from the 1940s and 50s and translated it into the 21st century because people have questions. We've got to preach now on gun control. We've got to preach now on how to, to stop the violence that we see happening in our communities. These are what people are crying out. We've got to talk about mental health. 
Yeah. You know, we this is what people are crying out for. And so how dare the gospel preacher preach messages that miss where the community in the world is crying out for? The world is hungry for the living bread, but we over here selling salads instead <laughs> of giving them what they need. So, yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been sitting in church pews all my life. Um but obviously was not aware of things happening in the world until a certain age. And even more so because I grew up in a little bitty community, like 1,200 people, a, a full church on my Sunday mornings growing up was 80, 85 people. So it was, you talk about roll your window down. My community needed to roll its window down sometimes. We still didn't hear anything. Like it, it news got to us later on, um, it felt like. I'm curious about what you see is the the reason that some pastors white black or or yellow or red um have a hesitancy to dip their toe into that um because as i as i got older and started to be aware of i wonder if he's going to say anything about dot 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 and then was sometimes i remember being surprised sometimes as i got older when the the preacher at the church i was attending did not address a headline making news item. Do you, you've talked about that you've got other, other pastor friends all over. I'm, I, the, the hesitancy to not step into that. What is, what is the reason for, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to stay where I'm at. The three B's business budgets and bills. Mm. That is the reason why most clergy don't touch topics that I know God is pricking their heart. I know he is because God is God. I absolutely know God is doing what God does. It is the preacher who says, can I risk my budget? If I preach this, can I pay my bills? And this is more about a business than it is about ministry. Mm. And we miss it. We miss it. And so I, I really believe, and I, I mean, I'm really... This is really tough talk, but you push me there. Yeah. I, I really believe preachers who don't preach what God has given them to preach, especially in this frame of reference, I think silence is affirmation. And I know that's really tough to say. I, I really, I really believe if you if you are not have a strong enough conviction to speak against injustice, you have now become my oppressor. I really believe that. Mm. I really believe that. But here's, here's what I mean by that, Taylor. Here's yeah. what I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and I know, because when something happens in the in the urban core, something happens in the suburbs, and and it happens to be some uh, Black assailant and it happens to, in a white community, they call me, Darren, man, we got to do something. You know, can, can you meet with me and let's, let's do a promo video? Let's do something. You're talking about a white preacher will call you. Oh, yeah, the white preacher will call me. Yeah. But... When the flip, when the script flips, yeah, or when there's a rush on the Capitol. Now nobody called me when there was a rush on the Capitol. <laughs> nobody, I called them. I called together a couple of friends of mine who had mega church. I said, you know what, we're gonna do a video. Oh man, why? I said, yeah, because I'm coming over to your church, get your video team ready. We're gonna do a video. I forced their hands to do it because yeah. they would not have wanted to do it because bills, budgets, and business. Yeah. You're and talking about sad. you're talking about an awareness of knowing what the contribution is going to look like that Sunday, potentially if you preach a certain thing. 
and yeah. it's it's a legit number difference. It's a legit number difference in contributions. It's a legit number difference in how people may view you as their leader. Yeah. And then you, but you have to assess that. How do they view you as a leader? Do they view you more so as a hired hand who just pushes our agenda? Or do they view you as a God-called anointed person who would lead us to greener pastures, whatever those pastures look like? Yeah. You know, well, where's this thing going? You know, yeah. it's, it's a real conversation. Um, I didn't, I was talking about, talking to myself before this conversation started about whether or not I was going to bring this up. But I, which something you just said, I've, I've got to bring it up. My my pastor at my church, his name Love is Gilbert Kerrigan, and yeah. you you met and talked to him in that interfaith, interfaith panel week a month or so ago. We've hung out uh, a couple of times. He told me that you had, you had, you'd hung out with him a couple of times. I love that. He preached yesterday uh, on Amos in the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about the fact that Amos uh, was pretty fiery and a cantankerous guy. And he said, Amos said some things that would tick people off if I were to say them today, but the line he said yesterday that stuck with me, he said, uh, he was talking about people being quick to say, oh, you're talking about politics, preacher. I don't want to hear about politics in church. And he said, that happens sometimes when you start to talk about justice. And he said, I'm here to tell you this morning, justice was a biblical term long before it was a political term. And that really stuck with me yesterday. He said, the church has let politics take the word justice away from us. He said, that is a biblical thought process that comes from God, because Amos says, let justice roll down like flowing waters. I'm getting a little preachy here myself, but, but that, that really stuck with me. And it, it, I hesitated to bring this up, but I saw some... Body, not necessarily at that point, but during the sermon yesterday, I saw somebody get up and walk out. And they didn't come back. It wasn't a bathroom break during the sermon. Um, I can't, I can't feel it when somebody clicks off the remote watching me. But you can see it when you're standing on the pulpit and somebody gets up and walks out because of something you've said. Do you have to pull yourself in from saying, hey, and like talking to them specifically, like, what does that feel like when you have made somebody get up and say, nope, not today, preacher, and they get up and walk out? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a duplicity moment. It's you, On one hand, you have the conviction where God tells Moses, don't be afraid of their faces. Mm. But it's a human moment when you, say, when you look at them and say, wow, did I just offend somebody? That I know, that I that speak I know. to you know, yeah. that I love, you know, that I've shared with, that, you know, we've done life together. Yeah. And it can, becomes that moment, whose report are you going to believe and trust in? You know, I have to always side with God, and I have to always have these moments that I do anything or say anything that was directed to offend that person. You know, because the word of God, the Bible says, is a two-edged sword. You know, yeah. it, it cuts and it heals and it, 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 it does those things. And sometimes it cuts at points where people become uncomfortable. But I always say, until we become uncomfortable, we don't learn. That's why I love having conversations with you, Taylor, because we talk about uncomfortable subjects. But people are going to watch this. People are watching this. 
it is at the point of becoming uncomfortable that learning begins. But what I have discovered, and I don't mean to be offensive, mm. that my white counterparts do not like to be uncomfortable. Yeah. They do not like to be uncomfortable. When the conversation goes uncomfortable, they will dismiss it. They'll walk away from it. They'll push back on it. Or they'll just try to overtalk it. But it's not until we become uncomfortable that really learning and true reform change conversion takes place, even if it's just empathy and understanding. Yeah. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what is it that Black people want? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> what a question. <laughs> yeah, what a question. Jeez. You know, to be heard, mm -hmm. to be felt. To, to, to have what we necessarily didn't get in 1776, but was given granted to in 1868. When, when you watch a, a nine minute, 29 minute video, yeah. and you know what the verdict should be, yeah. but then you hold your breath because you think it might not be. That's an indictment against our nation. Yes. I don't care how you talk, I don't care how you look at it. And so, yeah, so that those 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 are those moments for me. I have them all the time. I had it yesterday. You know, I, I, I had it yesterday just talking about where the church is in terms of pandemic. And mm -hmm. we're not going back to what was, and we're gonna have to adjust to what is. But I have many in my congregation, oh, I want the old time way. Well, those days, those days are gone. We may not see the things that we used to see. We're sitting socially distanced now with some people wearing masks and, you know, uh, you know, the crowds are not what they were pre-pandemic. You yeah. know, we have more people watch online virtual than actually are in our physical space right now. And so, and you got some people like, oh, I don't know if I can get with this. Well, this is where things are and we're going to have to learn how to adjust to it. Look what we're doing. We used to, we would be talking in physical space and now we're doing things virtually, but we're reaching way more people, right. you know, you know in, the, in this medium. I think there's a deeper conversation to be had there and we, we don't have to go too far down this, this particular yeah. alleyway, but I think there's a deeper conversation there to be had with how comfortable people are with being uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, and how, how used we are to being uncomfortable. And I think if we are, and that's, that's not just about church. That's just about period. If, if you are, if you are more accustomed to be putting in those challenge, be put in those challenging situations that you're describing, I think they're never easy, but I think that you're able to at least <laughs> not get up and walk out of them um, for lack of a better phrase sometimes. And I, I think that, I think there are some of us, some based on the person and some based on the circumstances a person has been brought up that are more comfortable with uncomfortability than others. I'll give you, I'll give you, and since you went that way, I'll share something from my own yeah. frame of reference. I was with uh, my, my, I was with someone and the question was raised. Someone raised a question to me. So I raised a question to a, a, a white friend of mine that I trusted. And the question was raised to me and said, dad, to my from one of my children why is it that white people just don't like us hit me 
Yeah. I just don't know if I can answer that. So I, I asked a uh, friend I've known down through the years and asked him that question. Now, does this show you how uncomfortable I had to get? Yeah. Because his response wasn't what I thought it was going to be. He was white or black? He was white. Okay. You know, knowing him since third grade. Mm-hmm. And asked him the questions, hey, man, just be honest with me. Raw, that, you know, just raw. Why do you think white people don't like us? He said, well, I can tell you why my family struggles not liking black people. And so I said, why? And I got real uncomfortable real fast. Right, yeah. But I said, you know what, Darren, if you're going to dish it, you're going to have to receive it. So sit here and take it, because I, I could tell the temperature change in the room. Mm-hmm. And his response to me, he said, because America was better when black people were slaves. And I had to sit in that space, Taylor. This is to your face, someone said that. And take it. He said, my family talks about that. He said, that. He said, that's what this Make America Great Again, I believe, is really all about. He said, at least that's what my family thinks it's about. Go back to. Go back to. Mm-hmm. And he said, Darren, they really believe that. So I asked him, do you believe that? And he said to me, I'm not totally delivered yet. Wow. This is somebody I've been knowing since third grade. Wow. But I can appreciate the space of truth. Yeah. And I can appreciate the grace that God gave me to sit there and take that. Yeah. And feel totally uncomfortable, totally just ticked off, man. You know, like, yeah. you know, I can't believe this moment that I'm in. But it taught me something about how sometimes my sermons or my speeches come off to other people. Yeah. And if I can have the grace to stay in that space, then I can challenge others to have the grace and stay in that space. And then let's talk about it. Because until we have conversations like this, the needle doesn't move. Yeah. You know, you know the needle doesn't move. And so I can still call that guy today a friend. Mm-hmm. And I just respect where he is. He gave me his truth, and that's where he is. And we still have conversations right now today, but he's open to hearing. Now, he, his parents aren't, <laughs> but he is. Yeah. And just, you know, and, and just some people, some people just won't get it. Taylor, I, I've learned that. Some people just, they just won't get it. They just yeah. don't want to get it. Some people won't get it. Some people don't want to get it. Some people do get it. There's yeah. three people in the world. And so those that won't get it, you can't waste time there. There's people that don't get it. You can win those. Mm-hmm. And those people that already do get it, those are your allies. Those are the people that's ready to see reform and change in the world. But I just think it's a third of humanity that just will never get it. Yeah. Pastor, how old were you when you first started preaching? I was 19 years old. 19 years old. <laughs> um, I thought that that might be the case. I figured the number was going to be low. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wanted to ask this question. How has your own personal life experience, buying a house, marriage, father, all, all that kind of thing that you may not have had when you were 19, uh, affected your ability and willingness to go where we're talking about this morning? I Correct me, please, but I can't imagine 19-year-old Darren walking up there and being extremely comfortable with walking up there with a newspaper and talking about the headlines. Or, or, or were you at that age? Tell me about how that, that 
span of time has changed your ability and your willingness to do that? Yeah. Well, I, I'll always say, I always remember Fred Hampton was 21 when he started the Black Panther Party. It was feeding yeah. kids and you know, those kind of things. And, and and so I've always had this revolutionary spirit, you know, Taylor Edmund. But I, you, you asked all the right questions. That's why I love you as a reporter. <laughs> my, my, I, but I'm going to tell you, man, it was for me, it was 26. I was 26 years old and I bought my first house. Um, I live first. I'm a college graduate. I'm working in industry. And my first home was the church's home. It's called a parsonage. where. Mm -hmm. But it was built. It was built in 1864. Wow! You know, you know, Texas is Juneteenth. You know, we didn't get the word that slaves were freed <laughs> by '66. And Taylor, the house was built. <laughs> you laughing, but it's the truth. And the house was built on tree stumps. Oh my gosh! They were like this, this, this was in stumps. Texas, right? This Texas, was in the. This was my first home. Yeah. I'm a Texas A&M college bragging, whoop, getting on big ring on. And you're living stuff. on tree stumps. I'm living on tree stumps. Because <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> and it was, a, it was a shotgun house where you could open the front door and see all out the, the way through. Door. Yeah. My, mm -hmm. my wife is an educator. She's a graduate and she's teaching in high school. And we're living in this house on tree stumps because I'm just trusting the Lord, you know. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, I knew I need to make moves fast because this is just where, you know, how we business. We can't stay here. We can't you know? stay here. But here, here's my point. It was on the black side of town. And I, I mean that really, really in raw form. And on the map, I was born in Waxhatchee, Texas. And it's 20 minutes south of Dallas. It's actually where Emmanuel Cleaver was born. I know and, that. Yeah. yeah. And and it's still on the city map in Waxhatchee. East of the courthouse is still called Negro Town today. And so, but here's the story. And so I save my coins, pay off my student loans, and buy my first house. I now have uh, uh, two boys in 1996, and I go buy my first home. I buy my home. Now, I'm from Waxhatchee. I'm passionate in my hometown where I grew up. Mm -hmm. I buy my home on the other side of town, west of the courthouse. Um, nice home, brick home, first home. I'm excited. Taylor, it's not the story you think is going. I, I'm, I I'm, I'm glued I to the phone right now. I can't I, wait to hear what you think. I didn't get, I didn't get the vitriol from the white people. Because you moved into a white neighborhood. Absolutely. I got it from the black people. Because you went over there. Because I, I broke rank. Yeah. And it was rough. I mean, because you're preaching at a black church. I, I I'm, I'm pastoring in a black church. In fact, the largest black church in the town. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was man, it was rough. I had black preachers tell me that I was a sellout. You know, because I moved to I moved literally. Well, that's not that big. I I moved literally three miles, literally yeah. three miles. And I just thought your money can let you move where you want to move. Mm -hmm. But I really took a lot of heat. And it, that was the first time I felt what's called black backlash. Okay. I had never experienced it before. You know, I never, I never felt that that kind of vitriolic violence about certain decisions if you if you break the monolith. Did you hear it from family or just people you knew? 
Oh, I didn't hear it from family. Family, family kind of know me. They kind of know I'm maverick and I'm revolutionary and I do what yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I heard it from contemporaries. I heard it from people I grew up with. I heard it from black clergy who just didn't know how to get out of that spot. Yeah. And here's somebody who's less than 30 figured it out. And you know, it was, it was, it was an indictment. For some who was 16, 70, who still couldn't figure it out. And then it was to some like, how dare he, you know, leave us? And so I understood it, you mm -hmm. know, and I continued to preach through it. It was fine. But that, I, I give you that story because that's a flip story. Because some people hear this story and say, oh, he probably got, you know, the eyes rolled or what you do in our neighborhood from white people. I didn't get that. I actually got black, what I call black backlash. Mm. So that was... That was foreign for me. My first time understanding that I was different as a black guy, I was five years old and I was invited to, to spend the night at a guy named Chris Kaufman, who's actually connected with the Kaufmans in Kansas City. Okay. A white family invited me to spend the night. And that was the first time that my that I ever been inside of a white person's home. And it was the first time my mom and dad gave me the talk. I never, never, ever, ever. I remember that talk. I remember them sitting me down. I remember them. You were five? Five years old. I remember them telling me what to do, what not to do, where to go, where not to go. You know, you know, if they walk into another room, don't you stay in that room because I don't want them to think that you are trying to steal something. So wherever they go, you go. Yeah. You know, whatever they do, you do. Even if you don't want to do it. You know, just do it. If they serve some food on the table, just eat it. I probably ain't going to like it, son, because they can't cook like us. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but eat it all and be gracious. Darren, let me tell you, I, my wife and I, our, our oldest is in third grade right now. He's wrapping up third grade, and he's old enough this summer to go to church camp for the first time. And it's an overnight camp. And so he's never spent the night at somebody else's house, not family before. And so we're talking about right now people we can ask if he can go spend the night to pr kind of practice. I can't imagine telling my child to not stay in a room by himself because people are going to be afraid he's going to steal something. I, I, I can't even, that's never entered the furthest reaches of my mind. Have you noticed, Taylor, I'll give you something to notice next time you're in a mall. Notice this. Okay. Notice when a white family walks in with a toddler and that toddler just has free reign all over the store. Just go, go, go. Watch a black family with a toddler. Watch how close they stay to the parent. Okay. Watch if that, that toddler tries to wonder. Watch how quickly the mom or dad snaps, like, come back here, come back here. Why? Why does that why does that white toddler have free reign? understand i can just go where i want to do what i want to do and i'm good it's i'm good yeah and why does a parent just subconsciously say i can't let you do that yeah do we see that that's the trauma that racism has caused in america i'll watch you know, for that you know watch, watch it next time look through that lens and then call me man because I, I want you to see i do it and I, I can be in a fluent neighborhood and I can buy anything in that store I want to buy. But I can remember when my boys were little, I did the exact same thing. I'm like, why? Why? So when you, when you hit that 26 mark, was, was that when you were 
more willing? Were you less willing before then to to preach into the headlines, to lean in? I mean, you you said you had that revolutionary streak in you already, but did did you notice a time when you're going to start kind of leaning in a little bit more to social issues from the from the pulpit whenever you preach? That 26 was my that was my cathartic moment. That was the moment I knew that I needed to address race on a regular basis. I knew because that was the first time I I got that backlash, you know, and we call it in our community crawdads in a bucket. <laughs> if you ever put crawdads in a bucket, the interesting concept is that another crawdad would never let another crawdad crawl out of the bucket. There's always another crawdad to pull it back down. Yeah. That is in our village of Black America one of the sad indictments. Mm. Is that once you see a crawdad getting ready to get out of the bucket, there's another crawdad to try to pull it back down. And, and I remember preaching that sermon and then using it as an illustration in a sermon at 26. And I really saw, I saw our congregation say, wow, a black preacher actually talked about village talk. At 26 years old. At 26 years old. Yeah. yeah. And so I knew that I was on a course for where I am now in my life to, mm -hmm. to do what I'm doing in terms of trying to bridge uh, an, an, a, a a, a, a distrust community with police department that has <laughs> caused a lot of injustice and, and, and trauma. And, and I, I knew I'm prepared for this moment from 26. Yeah. So I've always known God has something for me that was bigger than just the pulpit and had no idea it would be the city of Kansas city. Darren, I could, I could literally talk to you all day, but I don't want to take up all your morning. There's one last thing I want to ask you about. Um, the, the hot button, one of the many hot button things with churches right now, it feels like is that I, that, that conversation about the tax exempt status, if they don't, if they're not gonna pay taxes, they shouldn't be able to, and then fill in the blank. We're seeing a lot of that with when they're, when, when churches are talking about abortion, homosexuality and homosexuality. Or if they're not going to allow, if they're going to suggest, if they're that kind of thing, we're seeing it more with elections. Um, what is what is the future of the church in its relationship with social justice that you see? Let's say just the next five to ten years of where we are right now, and you can answer that about specifically about taxes and status or not even talk, but just that that's one of those things right now where it feels like we're coming to a head on this conversation, um, maybe sooner rather than later. What do you see those, those, those paths meeting up over the next decade or so? And thank you for asking the question. I preached it yesterday. So you just all in my stuff. See, and I didn't even look up. Your notes. Look at that. Well, Richard Niebuhr has a book called Christ Above Culture. That's first. Okay. And so I think Christ has to be in culture. So I think we have to understand culture so Christ can infuse the culture. But ultimately, it must be Christ above culture, that there's a, there's a standard that Christ set. You know, really, I'm just the mailman. I'm just delivering the mail. You know, that this is his message. I'm just delivering his mail. You know, that's what I do on a weekly basis. But to that, to, to your point succinctly, is I think churches moving forward cannot be afraid to preach truth, even <clears throat> if it means 
we may not have a building to do it in. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the further we get away from the cross, Taylor, this is just some good gospel preaching. Mm-hmm. The closer we get back to the cross, the further we get away from it, the closer we're going back to it. So what, what did the church look like closer to the cross? We were worshiping in houses. Yeah, pretty sparse. Yeah. And I really believe the further we get away is what we're about to turn back to. Mm. And, and it's okay because I think Christ is really pushing us to understand and embrace kingdom. We've had 2,000 years to build our own kingdoms. We've had mega churches. We've had great palatial. We've had tallest spire, biggest choirs. And we've made members, but we haven't made disciples. And I believe the God above has has sentenced the church Mm. and said, let me just strip you away from all the stuff that you think is important, and let me get you back to what's really important. And that was my message yesterday, the old scribe, where Jesus said, okay, you've done all these great things, but you're still not far from the kingdom in Mark 12 and 34. And I walked that through with my church on yesterday, you know, that you can you can com- comprehend the context. You can come to where Jesus is. You can communicate your concerns, which means to pray. But if you don't confess your condition, and then if you don't recommit to the commandments, which is loving God and loving your neighbor, you're still not kingdom worthy. Are you sure you and Gilbert didn't call each other yesterday morning before your sermons? Because there's, there's, some, there's some real vibe it's a, there. It's a I, vibe I, in I there. I to in my church. Well, one thing I love about your pastor, and I, and I, and I say this, uh, Gilbert and I have had great talks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate it for two reasons. One, he stepped into a hornet's nest and calmed it down. One. Number two, He's unpol- he's a unapologetically for Christ. Yeah. And he he knows the groups that's with him, and he's unafraid to the of the groups that's not. Yeah. And I'm gonna say something. I don't see that in white ministers anymore. He's an anomaly. Hmm. I mean, you guys got something good in Gilbert, I'm telling you. And uh, no. so I mean, anybody's watching that. I'm telling you what I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that is, that is high praise coming from you. Pastor, one last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, if, if someone's listening to this and says, listen, I got to go listen to more of this guy. When, when, when does your church meet? When can people come in and uh, take part there at uh, United Believers? Absolutely. Feel free to, to uh, uh, they, can, they can text us 855-845-8511, and they can register right now. We're in limited capacity. Okay. Uh, but if they put their name on the list, they're willing, they're free to come. And now we're still masked, you know, in our community. So, mm-hmm. you know, but you can watch us virtually on Sundays at ubcctv.org, or you can go to our website at believeandbelong.life and just hit live stream. Or we're on the, all the social media platforms. So at 1015, you can find United Believers Community Church or just go to Darren Lamont Edwards' Facebook page. It's all there. And you can check out this this. This guy who's, uh, <laughs> who's kind of, you know, kind of different, but, uh, yeah. you know, it just, but, but I'm, I love God. I love God's people. And I just believe that hope is still out there. If we don't have hope, Taylor, man, we, we, we might as well just close up shop, you know? And so I'm grateful for you for providing hope to our city, to our community and, and the way that you do it. And I mean, you're really smooth, man, in the in the way 
uh, that, that you get it done. So I applaud you, brother, for the work that you do. Well, Darren, that is very high praise. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me to hear you say that. Thank you very, very much. And I, one of these days post-pandemic, when things are back to normal, I'm, I'm going to bring my family over to your church. I got to come in and I got to come and sit and listen to this guy some more. So I, I definitely will get over there sometime. Well, listen, and then here's how I do it. So the first time after the pandemic and we're able to go to the restaurant, you got to go to a soul food spot with me. I always okay. test my friends. Okay. By the way, they put hot sauce on chicken. So if you do that, we're buddies, man. <laughs> Listen, nobody would be more thrilled about that than my wife. If we're going to Soul Food. She'll be thrilled about that. Because anytime she's going to a new place, she's going to want to go. I Pastor, appreciate thank it. Thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate you. Much love, brother. Take care. Bye-bye.